G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as you know, there have been some major demonstrations on the streets in Indonesia. And those protesting the Christian governor, whose name is Ahok, or at least that's what he's known as, and accusations that have been levelled against him. Accusations of blasphemy because he has spoken about the Quran and it's considered to be blasphemy when someone who is a Christian questions the interpretation of the Quran. Well, there have been a number of demonstrations and people who are renowned to be more conservative Muslims still calling for the removal of Ahok. Well, Professor Peter Riddell is the Vice Principal of the Melbourne School of Theology and Senior Fellow of Kairos Journal. He's an expert when it comes to Islam and especially in a Southeast Asian context. Peter's joining us today. Hello, Peter. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, Neil. It's good to join you again. Peter, these are particularly serious things that are happening in Indonesia. Do you think that our media is playing down what's going on uh, to our north? Or, uh, or is it just a matter of watching and waiting and seeing how things are unfolding there? Well, things things are unfolding at a at a certain pace, and what the media can do uh, and is doing, I think, is is just following what's happening, uh, reporting on on events. I don't think that the uh, Australian media has necessarily been sensationalising what's been going on. Um, there are causes for concern. The media has reflected that. But um, the outcome of this whole process is there's still some water to go under the bridge, so we'll just see where it leads. Peter, you've had one overall view of what's happening there in Indonesia, and if I were to quote you in an article you wrote just recently, the sleeping dragon of Sharia has awoken and is on the rampage. Is that a, is that a sensational way of talking about what's going on up in Indonesia? Well, um, in in writing that, what, the point I was really wanting to make, and that I would want to make now, is is Sharia law, um, Islamic law, as it's as it's known. Um, Sharia law is something which is part and parcel of the religion of Islam, and generally speaking, in countries like Indonesia and Malaysia and Pakistan, where you have majority Muslim populations, um, Islamic law is legislated it's built into the structure of society at, at a different level at different levels but depending on the government it can either be sleeping and not very visible or if you have a change of government and then you have very conservative muslims come into power um, they then tend to ramp it up and it can become quite uh quite prominent and quite yeah, in some ways regressive rather than progressive and that's what's happening in in Indonesia we have forces that are promoting the resurgence of Sharia law in ways which, uh, in my opinion, are are regressive and are not to Indonesia's advantage as a modern 21st century state. And those uh, those ways of ramping up uh, the Sharia law obviously fuelled by what's going on in places like the Middle East. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, in 1965, Indonesia passed a blasphemy law. And uh, at the time, in 1965, Indonesian government was not particularly Islamic. Um, and that was the period before the great resurgence of Islam that we've seen over the last 40 years. So when that blasphemy law was passed in 1965, it almost went by without notice. And for the next 30 years, it wasn't really used that much. But with the developments in the Middle East of, of widespread Islamic resurgence over the last 40 years, we've seen uh, the rise of Sharia law. And so as Sharia law becomes more and more popular and is used by increasingly conservative Islamic governments, they pick onto things like laws such as blasphemy, laws that have been sleeping there for a time. So Middle East has been leading leading the way around the world. Um, countries like Indonesia, um, Pakistan, which are beyond the area of the Middle East, they have been um, caught up in the in the wave of Islamic resurgence and the rise of Sharia law. So we're seeing the, a worldwide movement express itself in what's happening in Indonesia at the moment. And of course, Christianity only a small part. Uh, when we start to break down the figures, about one percent, as I understand it, Chinese minority Christian and uh, those Christians have often been the frequent targets of marginalisation at best and oftentimes uh, attacks at worst. Yes indeed. Uh, in Indonesia itself um, the Christian community is quite diverse in terms of its ethnic identity. Chinese represent about 1% of the population but there are many other kinds of Christians. I, I'd say Christians represent perhaps um, Oh, maybe eight to ten percent of the population overall. But the Chinese, um, the Chinese are a particular group in Indonesia. They've suffered um, marginalisation and um, hostility in many ways for a long, long period of time. And I think what we're really seeing at the moment with this incident surrounding the governor of Jakarta is. Um, long, deep-rooted, deep-seated anti-Chinese sentiment, racist sentiment actually, being expressed um, in Islamic terms. So Islam is being used to provide a justification for anti-Chinese uh, racist sentiment. Well, Peter, in Indonesia, there is a democracy, and we understand how that works. And I imagine there, because there's a democracy, there's a rule of law. How does Sharia law sit uncomfortably in that democracy? Yes, well, often in Islamic nations, and Indonesia is no exception, you kind of have a, um, a parallel uh, system of laws which are operating with different areas of jurisdiction. So indeed, um, Indonesia has civil law codes uh, which, which uh, form the, the basis of the operations of state, uh, of, the, of the police, uh, of, of government, of, uh, of military forces and so forth. But you also have a, a set of uh, Islamic law courts um, all around the nation and they um, have been responsible up until recent years largely for matters of family law, uh, matters of marriage and divorce and inheritance and things like that. Now, when you have a parallel system like that of civil law operating in the major areas of the country's operations and sh Sharia law operating in matters of private domestic, uh, private family law, conservative Muslim groups want to increase the influence of Sharia law. And so this is what we're seeing in Indonesia, a call, an increasing call for wider and wider application of Sharia law with far greater jurisdiction.
Now, the president, Joko Widodo, sits somehow rather uncomfortably too in the middle of all of this because he is a former governor of Jakarta and and AHOC took his place after uh, his ascension uh, to the presidency. Uh, how does that fit for the president uh, to be in such an uncomfortable position where it's he's so close to what's happened there? Yes, well, that's an important question, Neil. Um, I think, uh, I have no doubt that the president, uh, Joko Widodo, his sympathies in this case probably lie with his former deputy, uh, AHOC. Um, when um, Joko Widodo was himself governor of Jakarta, he was quite active in trying to address the endemic problem of corruption, uh, of the, just the difficulty of life also in Jakarta, of traffic congestion, of uh, widespread poverty and so forth. Um, Joko Widodo himself is a Muslim, but he's a very open-minded Muslim, and he chose as his deputy a man who is very capable with similar concerns, um, who happened to be a Chinese Christian. Now, now that uh, Widodo has gone to the presidency, leaving his deputy as Jakarta governor, um, he's, the president himself is in a difficult position because he, he would support the programs and the, uh, the ideals of the present governor of Jakarta, but he's getting, the president is getting huge pressures from Islamist groups around the nation with all of these demonstrations. So the president's caught in the middle. He's, he's really in a sandwich situation here. Our guest is an expert on Islam in a Southeast Asian context. Professor Peter Riddell, our guest, he's Vice Principal at the Melbourne School of Theology, also a Senior Fellow of Kairos Journal. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're unpacking some of the uncomfortable things that are happening to our north in the nation of Indonesia, where the Christian governor there, known as Ahok, in Jakarta has been accused of blasphemy because he's spoken about the Quran. Our special guest is Professor Peter Riddell, Vice Principal of the Melbourne School of Theology and Senior Fellow of Kairos Journal. He's renowned as an expert on Islam in the Asian context. Uh, Peter, if we're talking about AHOC, uh, significant things that are happening about him, if he were to stand trial for blasphemy, uh, what would that do in the nation of Indonesia, do you think? Um, well, it would certainly um, polarise the the, um, the nation. Um, he, he the situation is he's in is very difficult. When he came to when he assumed the the governorship of Jakarta in 2014, um, he immediately um, faced opposition from conservative Islamic groups who. But in principle, were opposed to having a Christian Chinese lead Jakarta with its majority Muslim population. Conservative Islamic groups believe that Muslim populations should be led by Muslims, not by Christians. And therefore, in a sense, he was on the back foot from the very beginning. Now, I think it's fair to say that these groups have waited for opportunities to bring him down and this current situation has presented them with an opportunity to bring him down. So these conservative Islamic groups who lodged a complaint of blasphemy against the governor um, are seeing this as an opportunity to effectively tip him out of his post and to, to increasingly Islamise the, the city. If he's brought to trial, and he will be brought to trial now, um, it will cause great debate. 
Um, and the likely outcome, based on past, um, in recent years, past uh, blasphemy cases, the likely outcome is he'll, he'll be found guilty. That seems to be the most likely outcome. So it will cause um, uh, much dissension and some unrest, I imagine. Now, the verse in question in the Quran is renowned to be verse 51 of chapter 5. Uh, which opposes Christian leadership of a Muslim population. How do you think that verse fits? Let me just read that as uh, as I understand. It says, O you who have believed, do not take the Jews and the Christians as allies. They are, in fact, allies of one another. And whoever is an ally of them among you, then indeed he is one of them. Indeed, Allah guides not the wrongdoing people. That's the verse that's in question there. As you see it, Peter, do you see that there is a case to answer for blasphemy for Ahok, for what he's said? Well, look, any verse of any sacred text can be read in a number of different ways. Um, It can be read um, literally. It can be read um, in a broader way. Um, More moderate Muslims respond on this verse and they say that it reflects a discussion back in historical time reflecting a situation centuries ago and it should be understood on those terms. Um, now, that's, that kind of interpretation is a more sophisticated, intellectual, educated kind of interpretation. Um, uh, 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 on the other hand, you get literal readings, and if you read the verse literally, it says, Oh, you who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as allies. Now, if you read it literally, then that would be used by literal Muslims to consider that um, they should not be led, um, they should not be allied or indeed led by, by non, non-Muslims. So this is the debate, and the, the debate is taking place among Indonesian Muslims themselves. Some Indonesian Muslims are coming out and saying that the verse should not be read to bring down the Jakarta governor. Others are saying the verse is quite clear. And indeed, one other little detail is when the verse is actually translated, in, has been translated into Indonesian, the word allies has been translated in some versions as leaders. And therefore, some people re- le- read it as, oh, you who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as leaders. And they use that to justify their opposition to the Christian governor of Jakarta. Well, Peter, if he's going to stand trial, as I understand that there is a five-year prison sentence for people convicted of blasphemy in Indonesia, uh, if that happens, there'll be perhaps widespread unrest across the whole nation. Um, yes, well, look, the Indonesian, Indonesian security forces, are, they're pretty effective at um, keeping the nation relatively quiet. I think there are two issues of concern here. One, of course, is the immediate case of blasphemy levelled against the Jakarta governor. Um, recent cases of blasphemy have almost always found the accused party guilty, and on that basis, uh, some human rights organizations are saying that he will probably be found guilty. And certainly his supporters will be dismayed. And there could be some unrest. Whether it will take place across the nation, I don't think, because it's um, some Indonesians in distant, distant areas would not be so interested in what's happening in Jakarta. But the bigger concern, I think, is beyond this immediate case If he is found guilty, in other words, the blasphemy law has been implemented and that could then serve as a precedent for much wider um, accusations of blasphemy um, to be levelled 
by people with personal grudges to settle and so forth. And that's a great concern. It's, it's yet another sign of the rising, um, the rising power of uh, Sharia law in Indonesia. The idea of setting a precedent certainly does sound dangerous for the future for anyone who has a Christian foundation that might want to rise into any areas of leadership. There's another issue that happens seemingly in other Asian nations, perhaps towards more the Middle East, where the idea of being released and found not guilty is oftentimes met with vigilantism, whereas those who've already interpreted the Islamic law set about actually enforcing that themselves, apart from whether the courts rule in their favour or not. Is that a risk, do you think, in Indonesia? Yes, it is, Neil. Um, the, the, the case you just described, or the situation you just, just described, has happened repeatedly in Pakistan. Um, Pakistan's a very good example of a country that has gone much further down the route of Sharia law and accusations of blasphemy. Um, in Pakistan, um, blasphemy codes were, were strengthened in 1986, and since then there has been a continuing stream of cases of, of accusations of blasphemy, often by people settling personal scores. Um, and even when the courts have found the people not guilty of blasphemy, there have been cases where they've been killed by vigilante, Islam, Islamist vigilante groups. So it is a concern. That the situation's worse in Pakistan. I fear that in Indonesia it could head in that direction, and this particular case is a step on that journey. And Peter, is there any risk here to Australia? As we started our conversation saying the likelihood is that Australians will just be watching to see what happens. And uh, you did say that the Australian media hasn't uh, over-sensationalised what's going on in Indonesia. But of course, uh, on the outcome of a trial on a blasphemy law, there may be some change to that. Uh, is there anything that we ought to be fearful about or concerned about for the future? Well, the word I would use is watchful rather than fearful or concerned. Um, the, the, the fact is that right across the world, not only majority Islamic countries, but in the West as well, there is a push for increasing application of Sharia law. Now, as I said earlier, Sharia law is not all about cutting off hands and stoning people. It also relates to family law, matters of um, inheritance, divorce, uh, marriage and so forth. And in the West, at this stage, there, uh, Western countries like Britain, um, the United States, uh, Europe, and also in Australia, there has been some push by Muslims to to allow for the application of the softer face of Sharia law, that is family law. My concern is that really that is the thin end of the wedge. And I personally believe that in, in Western countries, there should be no place for Sharia law. Sharia law is a legal system which comes from the 8th, 8th century. Um, it's interesting to study as a historical exercise, but I believe it belongs in history and it has no place in the 21st century. So I would like to think that uh, Australian authorities will be sensible and will not be open in any way to the uh, implementation of any aspect of Sharia law in Australia or in uh, other Western countries. Uh, well, Peter, always so good getting your insights. Professor Peter Riddell, Vice Principal of the Melbourne School of Theology and Senior Fellow of Kairos Journal, and uh, you can certainly get in touch with Peter through the Melbourne School of Theology. Peter, thanks so much for your insights today here on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's good to be with you again.
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.